I'm Matt Downing, and welcome to Diving Deep EDU. Curious conversations with all types of peeps. Encouraging innovation, we are diving deep. Certainly education is what we like to speak. Fervent with dedication, now it is time to teach. Hey everyone, and thanks for joining me on Diving Deep EDU. This podcast is based in conversations that are willing to go off on a rabbit trail or two in order to find those aha moments. Those times when someone is able to say something in a way that brings increased clarity. Now, I'm an educator, so much of our conversations will have that as the end goal. How can the things that we are talking about help us to dive deeper into educational practices? Thanks for tuning in. Our guest today is Voltaire Wade Green. Voltaire has had extensive dance training, including stops at the San Francisco Ballet and the Dance Theater of Harlem. He has had a number of Broadway credits, including Jesus Christ Superstar, The Wiz, and as an original cast member of Hamilton. Voltaire is currently serving as the resident choreographer for the first national tour of Hamilton. Voltaire, thank you so much for joining me today. How are you doing? Dude, I'm amazing. Thank you for that introduction. That was awesome. Voltaire, I've been uh, I've been excited for this conversation and, uh, and it's been fascinating to me as I've been preparing for it and thinking a bit more deeply about dance. And Really, I've been thinking that movement and dance is is something that we do every day. It's also something critical to cultural expression, but yet it seems uh, not to be fully understood and in some cases not really fully embraced. So to get this conversation rolling, my question is this. How would you describe dance to our listeners whose most interaction with dancing is some awkward experience on the wedding dance floor Every couple of years, not saying that's me. It might be me, but I'm not saying that. So, Voltaire, what is dance? The way that I look at dance is like it's everybody's um, personal language. You know, I, I feel the crux of dancing is that like everyone wants to just look cool. Everyone wants to like be in the vein of like cool. But, you know, the cool thing about my upbringing and like being classically trained is like at the uh, ballet school I grew up in, we learned like folk dancing and like Bourneville and like some more traditional stuff. Um, and I just feel like it's a cultural thing that every culture sort of has some sort of dance element or form of expression through movement. And so that's, that's how I look at it, which, and that allows me not to judge it as like what's good and what's bad. Like this is this person's groove. This is, it's, it's like a taste. Of, uh, it's like people's uh, taste for different wines or listening to different types of music. You know, it's like mm. what speaks to them. It's like their own essence. So that's, kind of what dance is for me. So if dance is is language, how would you describe your language? Oh, uh, <laughs> wow, that's a great question. Um, I, I would say I'm malleable, man. Like, hmm. I, I think, like, the thing that has made me so successful is that 
is 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 my versatility and my ability to watch people's body language and kind of adopt that. I'm kind of like the uh, mystique, how she can turn into different people. That's like what I can do with different dance styles. Hmm. Um, just because like I am sort of so in love with the arts like i i am an artist like it is yeah. it is all that i do i love trying to feel what the person who created something felt when they created it so it's like i try to emulate them to the best of my ability i mean how do you go about doing that with with dance you're trying to express what someone else you know wants to be shown and and you love doing that and and how do you go about doing that what's that process look like well, okay, so it started when I was like young. Um mm. I remember when Thriller first came out on MTV and I took a homework assignment videotape and recorded over it the Thriller music video and then stood in front of the TV and then just like danced, like just learned the whole thing. Um never had dance training. I just like it was so infectious that I just like had to learn it and I had to look like Michael Jackson doing it, you know, like so much to the point I saw so much that I even saw like mistakes here and there. Um, I'm not going to call anybody out, you know, cause uh, <laughs> all, the, all the people in the, that video are legendary, but it's one of those things where it's like, when you see something that you like, I, I kind of want to know exactly in that, like, cause you can, you can see when something feels good to a choreographer, you can see when someone uh, gets in a flow and they're just in their moment. And so like the best way I do is I just kind of like, I have a photographic memory. So I kind of just instantly download how I see their body is falling on whatever side or whatever they're doing. I, I like study it really quickly and download it and then try to emulate that like right away so that I can catch the flow with that person. Like so you have a photographic memory. So that helps with memorizing, right? Other dances. But how do you interact with that photographic memory as you're trying to create uh, something new, maybe a bit differently than than what's been photographed in your mind? Mm, that is the challenge. That is yeah. the challenge. Is um, when when creating, I feel like I uh, make a list of elements that I enjoy from other things or things that I've done in the past or have seen in the past. Uh, whatever is applicable to the content of that moment, I will try to recall that or I'll bring it bring it back. Like if, whether it's a video that I saw that, you know, had some beautiful shapes in it or something, you know? Um, but the photographic memory helps when I'm in, when I'm just freestyling and I do a sequence of movement that, or a sequence of moves, excuse me, um, that I really liked. I, for the most part can recall everything that I did based off the general shapes that I'm like taking while I'm freestyling. Oh, wow. It's a weird multitasking skill, but it's, it's kind of fun. So you're dancing around shapes in your, in your mind? Not so much shapes in my mind as much as it is like shapes in space. So one thing that I love about dance is like, you know, you could think of like a step touch, right? But there's like depth to movement. So whether the step touch, like, we think of like a step touch as like being side to side, but what happens if you like do one step to the side and then move forward, you've now like, there's like a dimensional mm. thing. And then if you think of, you know, the cool thing about dance is it can be so exploratory and movement through different ways. Like think of your arms as like lights in darkness. How would you move to see both of them, you know? And like when, when going to the floor, how do you keep your momentum going in a certain way? And like, you know, it's just like, it's it's almost like a, a puzzle when it when it comes to dancing because it's like how how many angles can you put uh, construct 
uh, a piece. Okay, so when you're talking about shapes in in space, you would also transfer that to like puzzle pieces in space and sort of how they connect. And they're they're sort of. And I'm also have a follow up question: What do some of those shapes look like? You know, like when choreographing on like groups or like even small groups, like four four to six people, um, I feel like shapes differentiate between, you know, cause you can give everyone the, like the same choreography and have every single person start one count after the person before them. And suddenly you have this huge sequence of movement um, that like starts like a domino effect and you can just, you know, set up a, uh, you, you you can just set set the stage or formations up so that it creates this like interesting looking visual effect, you know, or, you know, if it's like one person, then how much do you like shapes play an important part as far as choreography goes and the movement across the stage when you have one person and just a giant stage. So hmm. I don't know. It variates. It, it, okay. it, it variates d- depending on who you're working with. That thriller example that you gave, do you remember what grade you were on when you did that? And was it an assignment that the teacher gave to you or was it something that you did on your own? Oh, I totally, that was 100% Voltaire Wade Green doing his own thing. Like that was, that was me. I was probably, yeah, I was probably in like first or second grade when it came oh, out. Wow. And I, I learned it, I mean- I I got in trouble for recording over because I think I think it was also like my mom's wedding video, too <laughs> that I, I recorded. I recorded over something really important because I got in so much trouble. But I I remember not getting in that much. Like I I was in trouble, but I wasn't like grounded in trouble or like no can't like no dessert. Like it wasn't like that because of what I was actually doing. I like, I got, I got caught recording over it and dancing in the living room. You can't get that mad at a kid for that, you know? (laughs) So was that an assignment? Did you bring it into school? No, that was just for me. It was just personal. Yeah, that was, I mean, I just saw it and it was, it was a, it was like the new release thing. It was like the hot thing. And I just remember them saying Michael Jackson, hot thing. And so I just immediately put, the VHS in and pushed record. I could care less. Like, uh, yeah, it, that was just, that was all for me. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious about your learning experiences within school. Um, so let's think, you know, to any chunk of time within that K through eight range. Mm-hmm. Um, what was your experience? I mean, obviously that thriller learning experience was extraordinary, right? You had agency, you wanted to do it. You probably spent hours doing that. But oftentimes schools aren't facilitating that sort of learning. What what was your experience like in school? I will say, I will say uh, before I started dancing, I had a really hard time in school just because I had all this energy, you know, and it's like, you've got to sit down, you've got to be quiet, you've got to be still, you have to take in all this information, you know, and like, as, as a kid, Mm -hmm. first off, as a kid, who's like first or second grade recording a music video so he can learn it, you, that, that should just be the heads up, you know? So, but um, one thing that did make school more bearable uh, in the sense, and that's so dramatic. That's so dramatic. But one thing that made it easier um, was when music was introduced to us in fourth grade. We all got a recorder, and I actually fell in love with my recorder and played that thing every day. And then fifth grade, we could pick an instrument, and so I picked the alto saxophone. And 
that was like my first like little thing into like the arts. And that was when like, that was when school became easy because it was like a reward system in the sense of like, okay, if I just behave and I don't like, no one tells me anything. I at least have music once a day where I can just play and like be like, be where I'm comfortable, you know? So you would have those times in music class where you could express yourself and and do those expressions, but the rest of the day you were just bearing with it to to do that. Um, oh, yep, that and recess. Yep, <laughs> <laughs> that and recess, fam. Like this. What could the rest of your day look like that could have made it a little bit more bearable for you? You know, to have a better learning experience throughout the day, not just in music class. What could have made it more bearable? It's one of those things where I feel as though my learning style wasn't catered to. And I was Mm -hmm. just kind of put in this position where I had to conform to what is one way of learning. I just think if I had someone bridge the gap in the way that I learned best, it would have been easier. And just, you know, like the music program was great. I do wish that there was like a little bit more of artistic options in elementary school and junior high things obviously branched out because, you know, you have elections that, that you can take and uh, sorry, elections, electives, you have electives that you can take. So like that, that yields more opportunity, but in elementary school, you know, you're just like kind of going with what, whatever programs the school has, you know, so. And I go into these elementary schools and the, the kids are, are so sweet and adorable. And then I'll see a bunch of kids that just seem like they're bursting out of their seat. And, mm-hmm. and I feel for them, you know, because they have, they have energy. They want to express themselves in a different way. They learn differently than mm-hmm. sitting there, you know, having some boring uh, worksheet or like, yeah. <laughs> you know, repeating some some math problem over and over again. That's like torture. Yeah. And and I've been thinking a lot about, you know, what could we do differently? And 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 that's why I'm asking these questions, you know, just sort of pondering and brainstorming and, and trying to come up with with anything that that could have worked a little bit better for you and maybe could work better for, for students today that, that want to express themselves uh, in a similar fashion that, that you do, you know, Um, any thoughts on that? Well, I, I I do think, you know, um, what's, what's funny is my favorite subject is probably most people's most like, like boring subject, but history was my, and still is my favorite topic. But I think, I think one thing about, the learning experience of it all. And one thing with Ham, like the irony of Hamilton exploding in uh, like, you know, 2015 and 16, um, even though that story is as old as we all know, but um, I feel as though the engagement of students in ways that could promote more involvement. So instead of being talked at or talked to, Mm. it's like, okay, you know what? Our history lesson today, we're going to cover Alexander Hamilton. Um, I would like so-and-so to play this person. I would like so-and-so. Mm-hmm. And then like you, you you set up a scene where now the kids are engaged and in the moment. And you can do this. And like I feel like that is something that you can do with any topic in history. And I feel like it's almost important so that kids can 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 grasp the weight and severity of certain things like war or like whatever it takes to mm. to achieve certain things. You know, I feel like kids will have more of a grasp if they're just like 
put in a scenario where it's like, oh, oh my goodness. Like, and obviously we don't want it to go to like the far end where it's like trauma and crying. And then like, you've got the news, you know, you, you don't want anything crazy. You don't want to go to like the worst end. But I do think involvement where mm. the kids aren't sitting behind a desk and they're just like writing vigorously down what they think they should be writing or, you know, and then they're questioning like whether they're catching the right things or not. You know, it's, it's like, no, experience this. Like, let's all just like, be in the space. And I think that for me is where dance, where I fell in love with dance is just like, there's nothing like being in the space and just telling a story. And so it's like Mm -hmm. all these things, you can get these kids to learn this instead of just downloading and regurgitating, you know, information. It's like, get the kids involved because like your investment isn't like, you're going to get that back. You know, it's like, sure. We all care about test scores and and we Mm -hmm. want to do well, but like, do scores matter if the kids really don't grasp grasp what you just gave them or they just like got, you know? So I love the word that you use there, involvement. You know, in the education circles, you know, we use all of these words and a lot of times we're using engagement. Um, but rarely have I ever heard the word or, or personally used the word involvement, but I, I feel like that's so much more profound, right? Mm-hmm. Including them in it, whether it looked like a play or a scene or, or something else, you know, but yeah. involve them in the learning experience that is their own. Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, instead, instead of forcing it down their throats, but they're part of the process. So why aren't they being involved in it? Right, right. And that's that was something that my history teacher, I love this dude so much. I want him to run for president. He's like literally the best. He's actually who I um, model my my like teaching after, you know, because it, it was so engaging. And like, uh, sorry, in- involving it. Like, <laughs> it was so like, he promoted the Socratic method. So all our tables were in a circle. Everything was always a discussion. Um, he reenacted a scene out of dead poet society where Robin Williams comes in to the classroom mm-hmm. and then walks out and like, he pulled that on us. And then he goes to the door and he's like, come on, follow me. And we go out into the yard and he <laughs> teaches us bocce, you know, like, like culture of whatever the mm-hmm. lesson was, you know? And it's like getting the kids to be like, to be involved and to have discussions, it's it's so much more inviting. It allows the student to make discoveries um, mm-hmm. on their own, which is huge. You know, like you can tell kids a hundred times something, but mm-hmm. sometimes they just need to experience it mm-hmm. to fully grasp it and learn from that. You know, and it's it, part part of teaching is like I feel I feel like my, my philosophy on teaching is that it's the teacher student relationship should be one that has an ebb and flow, you know, like as, as a dance teacher, my philosophy is I want my students to walk out of here better than me when it's all said and done, you know, like that is my goal. I want to equip you with all the things that make me where I'm at. I want to give you those. And I expect you to have them exit. Like I I expect you to execute everything or be well equipped to where you can surpass me in ability because Hmm. That's only going to push me as the teacher, you know, like that's, that's going to force me to elevate. And so I I feel, I just feel like that is, is, uh, an element that's missing that my history teacher just did so well. Thinking about you as the teacher, right? You're teaching students, which, which you do. What's a, what's a learning experience or a teaching experience that went really well? What did it look like? And why do you think it went so well or it goes so well? Something that you do that, 
that really connects with the students and, oh, that, that worked. I think one of the big things that I, I preach often is I don't want anyone looking like me. I don't want anyone to dance or move like me. Everyone's body is different. I want everyone to love what they see. You know, I don't want anyone, you know, trashing themselves for it. You know, uh, one of my favorite and common things that I get often is uh, um, I'm white. I don't have rhythm. And I'm like, dude, I'm half white. Like, I, I, I don't accept that. Like, you that's not an excuse. You know, it's 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 one of those. So things I can't like, use that as an excuse. No, dude. Nope. I will. I will. I will teach you a combination <laughs> and you will be a freaking dancer, dude, by the end. I promise. All right. But it's it's it's, it's but it is one of those things where. I feel that getting people comfortable to explore and create a safe space enough to fail in front of others is huge. And that is always, I feel like that is a big challenge when it comes to teaching and choreographing um, in different places and different, different ages. Cause it's not always kids that I work with. I work with adults as well. So it's one of those things where I feel like learning how to create a safe environment from jump to allow folks to feel okay being embarrassed or making a mistake mm. or, you know, that is always, that is always like the biggest learning moment. It's just like how to read the room in literally a minute and a half for an introduction and a, going right into the warm up. Uh, so, so how do you do that? Um, I mean, I just, <laughs> I give them that, that, that spiel, you know, it's just like, I think it's important for everyone to be okay with seeing what they look like in the mirror. And I think it's okay for them. The thing is, is like, we don't want to like set up an expectation for them to like, feel like they're going to look a certain way. And then all of a sudden they don't. And now they're in their heads in a room. So it's one of those things where I tell them, I'm like, you're not going to look like me and I'm not going to look like you. You have mm -hmm. strengths. I have strengths. We'll focus on those and we'll get through this. And I think looking at every class as a building block, being better than the class before is the best way to set it up, you know, and, and usually like that, that in itself. And I usually tell people that I'm nervous because nine times out of 10, I am nervous in every classroom setting that I ever step in because hmm. it's true. It's true. Like I don't think about it. You're, I'm walking into a room of, you know, 15, 20, 30, sometimes 40 kids. They don't know me from Adam. And I got to like, I somehow have to make sure that this is worth their time, their parents' money. You know, it's like, and I, you know, I, I just got to pray for a good class, you know, so. Yeah. And they can, they can probably feel that, that you believe that, um, you know, you obviously start off the class with that, right? So that's mm -hmm. important. And then they see it in you. They see that you believe it. You also mentioned sort of like vulnerability. Uh, what what role does that play in in your teaching and learning philosophy? Oh, it's huge. It's huge. It's something that, um, it's something. And I, I think even as I like get older, and when kids come around, it's it's going to be one of those things where it's like, I I'm only human, you know. And I think that is something that a lot of people can latch on to, or not latch on to, but that's something that people identify with, where it's like, oh this kid might be nervous taking my class, but if you hear that the teacher's nervous because it's their first time teaching you, then all of a sudden it's like, oh, we're kind of on the same playing field. That's cool. Okay, cool. So there's going to be a little bit of give and take, um, you know, and I'm just real and honest with folks because at the end of the day, I don't want to be the figure that is the know-all, be-all, end-all 
person. Like this should be, this should be like a stretching moment for both of us at some point as a teacher and student. So I want to let you know that I'm, I'm not perfect. I'm not going to have all the answers. I will research for you, but it's, it's a way where you, I feel like I'm not held to a, a crazy, crazy high standard that once I make a mistake, it's like, Oh, you messed up. Yeah. Mr. Uh, Mr. Voltaire messed up. You know, it's, it's, it's not that as much as it's like, Oh yeah, he forgot. You know, it's, it's this, 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 and this, you know, or whatever the moment is. I just want to pause here real quick and just point out to, to those listening, especially our educator friends. Uh, we've been talking about a lot, but involvement, safe space and vulnerability. And, and I just want to point out those big three that, that sort of have been resonating with me. And those can be transferred um, to a traditional classroom as well. Um, mm. Voltaire, I want to I hop over and talk about uh, Broadway a bit. Uh, yeah. You've been in a number of roles on Broadway, most notably as an original cast member in Hamilton, which we'll talk about in a moment. But before we do, I want to talk about Broadway in general. What does it feel like to perform in front of a crowd that's loving every minute of the show? I know for me, when I go to Broadway, it's marked on the calendar, right? Mm -hmm. the highlight of the weekend, the highlight of the month, everyone, you know, everything revolves around it. And you have an auditorium filled with people just like me. What does that feel like? Man, it's it's electric. It, it really I, like that. Mm. That might be a cliche, but you know what? It's it's truly I'll never forget when I made my debut, um, I, I went on last minute for my friend Ephraim, who was filming a TV show at the time and the filming had gone over and he was in a cab making it back and he wasn't going to make it in time. So they told me after half hour that I was on for him and I'd never had a rehearsal uh, on stage. I'd never had a put in. So I was like, OK, cool, let's get it. Like, <laughs> you know what? There's no time like now. And his opening he like for the ham reveal he's he's on stage and everyone's back is to 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 the audience and the roar that i felt from the house and just like i mean when i tell you it was literally like electricity all over my skin like it was just like mm. this surge of just adrenaline and all i like i had to remember to wait for lynn to say his next line cuz like that's how long the roar was like it was so long that he had actually had to take a pause after first saying his first line. There was one time I think we paused maybe like a minute and a half, two minutes. It was like a Michael Jackson intro, you know, like, like you, like you remember the old halftime show where he like jumps out in the middle of the stage and he's just standing there for like, what seems like 10 minutes. That's what it felt like. I mean, like I, I have chills thinking about it cause it, I've never, I've never experienced anything like that before. Um, where the audience, like the energy is bouncing back and forth between the stage and the audience, you know? How did that go, that that first experience? Because you didn't have a whole lot of, of practice. You know, um, I am a workaholic by just natural trade. Um, so it went well. It, it went really well. Um, I, I don't know. I really enjoy moments like that where, you know, there's no one else who can do it. You're the guy. I've been busting my tail and just like really putting in the work before, like outside of work. So it's it's one of those moments where I feel like I get to prove myself a little bit and just the joy of performing, you know, mm. is always that's just that's just the real kicker for me. 
Now, did you ever have a, a moment when the crowd was dead? I mean, pro- this probably didn't happen in Hamilton, but but maybe another performance. Did, did that ever happen? And if it did, how did you get through that? I will say, I will say that we did have. Um, so in 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 Hamilton, we had an alternate. His name is Javi. I love this man to death. He he took me under his wing when we were off Broadway because I'd never, you know, as far as like eight show weeks, uh, yeah, eight, eight show weeks go and the rigorous rehearsal schedule and 10 out of 12. It's like, I was just kind of like, yeah, dude, this is, this is intense. And he just like took me under his wing and was just, you know, kind of showing me the ropes. And every time he went on, the audience would not roar until like, I mean, after a while they started to, because like the hype around him and his Hamilton is just so amazing. Like he's so good at what he does. Um, but he, I, I, I remember having a moment with him backstage, not, not while he was on, he was trailing Lynn and just reviewing the show. But I remember him and I having a moment backstage and I was like, yo dude, like, like, I hate that no one like screams for you when, when you're introduced and like, how do you take that? He was like, Oh no, I know I have them. He's like, that's how I know I have them. He was like, they, they, they're disappointed because they think they're going to get something less than Lynn. And the best part is, is I'm just as good. And he's, (laughs) he's, and he's not lying. He's not lying by the end. Like the audience is still just as moved as you know, when they, when they saw it with Lynn, I think, I think that was a very, that was a huge moment for me in not comparing my performance. like as a, as, as a cover to the original, you know, and not downplaying that and stepping into um, my power in enjoying the challenge of that, Mm. you know, and that, that, that was really cool. There was also another moment. There was also another moment where it um, I'm not going to name where I'm not going to name where just, just, just because the folks I worked with were so incredible. Like, and, and, and that's the thing. I don't want it to like diminish the people that I worked with because they were phenomenal and the area that I was in was great. Um, but, uh, I did a production of hairspray. Um, and there's a line that Motormouth uh, says, and she, it, it's right before her big song. Um, I know where I've been, um, where she says, um, I've been sitting at that door a lot longer than you have. And then the lead says, what door? And she goes, the front door. And we've had, like, I remember we had, we've had a few, performances where people were laughing at that line and the stage is just like all black people on stage and so like moments like that are a little bit tense but we all just kind of look like the beauty of theater is like being able to look at each other and breathe together and Mm -hmm. use the art to then like or use that moment to then drive the art you know, it's, mm. it's, it's such a beautiful therapeutic way. Cause at the end of the day, those folks, w- whatever their views are, like they're so inclined to have them, but they also paid money to come see the show. So it's like, it kind of goes hand in hand and, and, and in that way, like it, art is beautiful in that way. You know, you mentioned a schedule. What, what does the Broadway schedule look like? How many times a day, a week are you performing? Do you have breaks? How many different roles, you know, is, is someone playing within a show? Mm-hmm. Oh, man. That schedule is the toughest thing. Let me tell <laughs> it you. sounds like it. Eight shows a week, fam. Eight shows a yeah. week. Um, I'm, I'm grateful that when Ham was on Broadway, or when I was with Ham on Broadway, um, we had two shows Wednesday and two shows on Saturdays. And just a matinee on Sunday. Some shows have five show weekends where it's like Saturday night, 
two Saturday. I mean, sorry, Friday night, two on Saturday, two on Sunday. Mm-hmm. Um, those are rough. Those those are really rough. Um, and Mondays are your days off. And I'm you can't see me, but my 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 hands are in quotation marks because Mondays are the only business day that you have off to take care of everything else, groceries, mm-hmm. anything that is a business day related issue. You know, like Monday is usually your day to catch up for the other six that you were working. So, mm-hmm. um, and then my role on Broadway was dance captain, so I was in rehearsals for a majority of like the day. You know. So, depending on, 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 on what the day looked like. Um, I was in charge of teaching covers, other swings, um, new cast members. Uh, and then if I'm not teaching and I'm not on stage, then I'm in the audience watching the show and noting it to then, to then give to the cast members to keep the show tight, because that is part of the DC job where, you know, we have to maintain the integrity of the show and, you know, formations. Okay, so you're performing, right? And then you're also rehearsing on this on the same day. You're doing that every day. Um, m- yeah, more or less. You know, some some days I'll I won't have any rehearsal and I'll just have a show, or I'll have rehearsals and you know no show that night. You know, but it variates. And then you know sprinkle that in with auditions. I didn't do a majority of auditions, but I definitely did enough. <laughs> auditions like just stress me out a little bit yeah let's shift and talk about hamilton specifically um you you know i must confess uh you know i fought the push to embrace hamilton at the beginning i sort of do the opposite of what everyone else is doing but this musical and the the same thing for you i'm so the same way yeah but but this has you know eventually it uh you know this musical and the soundtrack have become really uh the soundtrack of our family and and it's extraordinary on on so many levels what were some of your thoughts when you first read the script oh man um well i was i was fortunate enough um to be in a position to meet um andy the the uh, andy blankenbuehler the choreographer of the show um and he had asked me to work with him on a couple projects. And then finally, after like the third or fourth one, he was like, hey, I'm working on this thing called the Hamilton Mixtape. Would you be interested? And I was like, yeah, sure. He was like, it's the same creative team as In the Heights. And I mean, I just I loved working with Andy so much that I was he, like he could we could work on any project. And I'd be like, absolutely. I'm do I'm there, you know, but um, the, the script didn't come until off Broadway. But I got to listen to old recordings and like old, old readings of the show, earlier versions of the songs. And I remember being like, wow, I've never heard Broadway music like this. This is so interesting. And then the concepts that we were creating in the studios while like building this thing were so inspiring and so fun. Like it was one of those things where I was just like, man, I probably won't be in this show, but this is, this is a pretty cool thing. And then when I got the off-Broadway contract and sat in my first rehearsal, I I was just blown away. I was just like, mm. I was blown away. I got I got to see the workshop before the off-Broadway run. And Andy got me tickets to see that. And I was rocked. I was just like, whoa, this is amazing. And then my friend John, I mean, I had so many friends in in the workshop, but I, I bugged one of my friends to get me a ticket to the last day of the workshop. And they had grown so much from 
the first preview that I saw that I cried the second time I saw it. And I was like, I don't care if I have to sweep the floor of the theater. I'm going to be in the show somehow. Mm. I'm going to find a way to be in the show. And so, yeah, I, I just I felt so connected to the material. I felt it was something that spoke to a lot of people like I, I felt it was one of the few things that I could I could listen to that I was like, oh, I feel a majority of my friends who are all so different, all could identify with elements and aspects of this show. Like there are just so many things that remind me of so many other people's stories. I was like, this is so it's just yeah, it's so universal, yet so specific yeah. and catchy. What do you think it was that sort of made you cry when you when you watched it that time? Oh, the second time? Oh man, it was it was Anthony Ramos's death as Philip Hamilton. Mm. I mean, he really him and Pip, uh yeah, him and Pippa really were in that moment and it was it it shook me because yeah, Anthony is such an honest actor and it, it's such an incredible like thing to watch when He's in it because you are complete, like you're outside of your body and, and in that moment with him. And just like seeing the panic and the fear of of dying. And then the 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 image of his mom and dad holding him while and like while she's singing, you know, a song that like from from the beginning of the second act, and then the heartbeat sound effect. It's just like it really just tugs in a way that I hadn't anticipated. And I just like when I've when I had fully just immersed myself in that moment with them, I was like, whoa, this is wow. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, it struck a chord I didn't know I had. So how much time passed be- between the first time you saw it in that workshop and the second time? Uh, two days, just two days. And, and that that much work had been done on it. Uh huh. I mean, they didn't change anything, but the actors settled it more into their characters. Wow. And it was, it was, it was that, that really hit me because like I was, I was blown away by the music in the first place, but then the second time being able to listen uh, closer, catch things that I didn't catch the first time, finding choreography, like it was, yeah, it, it, it was just the comfortability amongst the actors and how, how far they had gone that I was like, oh, if this is that transformative, I mm-hmm. I have to find a way to be a part of this. Yeah, I thought you were going to say like three months. <laughs> you said two days. Yeah, dude, um, two days, man. I mean, also, wow. though, that cast is dynamite. Like, it was a master class every day I showed up mm-hmm. to work. I mean, I, I couldn't be more grateful for a group of people to be around. Now, there's lots of parts to the musical. There's a lot of songs. What song or part was the most fun for you? Oh, man. Well, you know, the one that stands out to me the most is when I made my debut off Broadway. Um, the song Wait For It. Um, I I came out for that song um, because uh, one of our cast members, Seth, uh, was injured. And so I, as an emergency, went on for him. And um, I made my entrance in Wait For It. And Leslie, before the first big chorus drops, he does this thing where he kind of just underneath himself turns around slowly. And as he's turning around, he kind of like clocks every cast member on stage. 
And I remember him turning towards me and just like looking at me and like just the look of reassurance. And like, we like, we've got you like that, like the energy of like, we got you was just so amazing. And then the next line, he says, uh, Hamilton faces an endless uphill climb. And the entire cast is directed to look stage left in wing two. And when I looked stage left wing two, Lynn was there and he was giving me his nod of like, we got you in this. And it was just like this moment where I was like, I can't be scared because I worked so hard to get here and this show must go on. Like I like come hell or high water, this show must go on. So yeah, that like <laughs> wait for it is probably the jam for me still, still. How often, uh, you know, in Hamilton or maybe some of your other experiences, you know, on Broadway that the actors, the dancers, the musicians, uh, they mess up, but the audience doesn't really know it. How did the uh, cast members sort of sort of deal with that? Oh, man. You know, I, I've seen I've seen both sides of it. I've seen actors who will have a line flub or like a crack note. Um, come off stage and just be angry, furious, mm. you know, because at the end of the day, all performers have an element of perfectionism yeah, or, or the, just that perfectionist mentality. Um, and then I've seen people who are completely okay to laugh at themselves. And I love that. You know, there was a, there was for a while, Brandon Victor Dixon and a couple other members of Hamilton did a thing called hashtag Burr's corner. And basically any line flub that they had during the show, they would film a burner's corner explaining the line flub and just kind of making fun of it or laugh, you know, making light of it. And I, I found that to be a very healthy way to, to, to be okay with messing up because that's, I mean, that's the thing with live theater is like, you're going to mess up. Like that's part of why you pay <laughs> it's mm -hmm. you're not going to get this polished perfect performance and I, th mm -hmm. I think that's an exciting element and it's also it's one of those things too where like if someone forgets a line suddenly we're in this world of like improv and i've yeah. seen some of the most genius stuff in the moment when you know say someone messed up or wasn't able to make it on stage due to a costume malfunction or something, you know, and like to see folks improv and make something literally out of nothing is like, I don't know. That's, that, that's also part of live theater, you know? So like how often does that happen? So the audience, it may not be a crack note. Like the audience doesn't know that, that something was off, but how often does that improv ha actually happen on stage? Well, I, I will say uh, with Hamilton, they run a tight ship, so it doesn't it, it doesn't happen. It doesn't happen often. But I will say, like, I don't know. I feel, I feel like maybe at least once a week you're you're bound to get a line flub. I mean, there's over a million words in that show. Right. I mean, yeah. goodness. So <laughs> you're bound to get some sort of mess up. But it is one of those things where I don't know. As like an audience member, you, that's that's part of the element that is like mm -hmm. exciting. Now, I will say, I messed up. Uh, <laughs> I'm 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 good to call myself out. I will say there was a there was a moment in Yorktown during the dance break where the men have to go grab the muskets and they pass one off to their lady that's yep. crossing from downstage to upstage, and then after we do choreography with the musket, we end in a pose in a pool of light. And there was one show where I was 
completely out of my light. And I remember looking at someone in the audience and they looked at me and they looked at where the light was and then back at me. And it was, it was humbling and amazing. I instantly got the note to myself as, as a dance captain, I noted myself in that moment. I do not use exceptionalism and uh, yeah, it was humbling and we kept it moving. <laughs> That's great. I, I have one more question with, with Hamilton. Um, so you were the resident choreographer for the first national tour of Hamilton. What insights did you did you get from that role? You know, it it it, it was interesting being in a leadership role like that, where at one point I was just a cast member, and now I'm 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 overseeing the show. I'm making sure that it's clean. I'm teaching literally everyone. I've got dance captains uh, who I'm working with who are rock stars. Um, it's but one of the things that I think I offered in my position that I was able to see the effects of was I did the show. And so it was cool to talk to cast members with someone who had, who had performed the show and done the thing and had been a part of it from the beginning. So it was one of those things where just by my affiliation with the show, I had already earned trust, but I also think that trust was a huge thing in the sense of like, like, any note I gave, they know that I have either done it before or I had, you know, had some sort of history with like working with the information that I was giving them. And so it was one of those things where, yeah, it was, it was a cool, again, not teacher student. Cause I wasn't really like everyone's teacher there. I kind of just stepped into a role replacing the the former choreographer, but it was nice to step into a role where the company was reassured because I had done the show before. So I could offer information that would benefit them. And they know that it was not coming from a place of inexperience. Voltaire, you don't even know this has been wonderful. This has been such a great and insightful conversation. Uh, As we come to the end here, who do you want to give a shout out to? I would love, I mean, obviously my mom, my brother, and my sister, Vladimir Vavon. Um, but I have three friends. I have three friends who are really doing big things right now. And I'm I'm so proud of them. Um, they are really great dudes. My friend Daniel Watts, you can follow him on Twitter or on Instagram at uh D Watts Words. He just got nominated for a Tony for his role in the Tina Turner musical uh as Ike, um, Ike Turner. Um, my friend Ephraim Sykes, uh, his, uh, Instagram handle is F Sykes and he is playing Michael Jackson, uh, in the new MJ musical, whenever Broadway gets back to the thing, these two gentlemen are activists as well as upstanding, like citizens, artists, just really good humans. And I, I really feel that the work that they're doing is just so important. And I feel like they're just really great positive role models, especially in the arts for men and even more so men of color. Uh, I, I definitely, I, I, I feel we don't raise people in our community up like here, here are people doing the thing and there's, they have positive words and, and, and encouragement and knowledge so I want to give them a shout out and I I'm always going to shout out my history teacher Jeremy Adams. I 
because it was a last minute thing, I don't remember what his handle is. That's awful. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll post it. Okay, thank you. But shout out to him because he he really changed my life in the way of looking at learning and how to engage with people because every other teacher I had just kind of followed this monotonous, you know, cycle. And he just changed the game. He shifted it up. He, he engaged with us. He challenged us. We challenged him and that was okay. And I just, I really wish there were more teachers like that because it was one of those things where if he got, if, if, if he was in the moment and having a speech and a kid started to yawn, he would, he would be upset. He, he would be upset. He'd be like, you know what? It's okay. I'm just, I'm going on a rant. And then the rest of the class would be upset that the kid yawned, you know, because like <laughs> we wanted to know what he was going to say. Cause whatever he said, we knew it was going to be thought provoking mm. and engaging. And that, that's something that I feel was, what was lacking. So shout out to Jeremy Adams at BHS. Once a driller, always a driller. So the, the Ephraim that you gave a, a shout out to, was he the one you filled in for when he was in the car ride and couldn't get there in time? Yep. Yep. <laughs> Funny enough, him him and I came up together at a ballet program in Philadelphia. So yeah, that's how we first met. And then we've just, we've been friends ever since. It is time for the final word. What would you like to say to close out this podcast? Oh man, the final word. So much pressure. So much pressure. <laughs> um, I think... I think one thing that I I I want to continue promoting and living through uh, is now more than ever, it's just like not being afraid to have hard conversations with folks and being okay to like agree to disagree with people. I think one thing that's been very frustrating about the pandemic, other than being unemployed for over six months, um, is it's one of those situations where I feel conversations need to be had and not from a place of like, I need you to understand my point of view as much as it is like, let's share information and actually like talk instead of like trying to prove a point. So, and like, it's one of those things that it took me a long time to be okay doing, but I just think we have to stop looking at anyone with a different opinion as someone who's just automatically the enemy. Like it's okay that everyone has different life experiences. It's okay that we all believe in different things. It is our right here in America to have our own belief systems and our own, you know, as long as it doesn't infringe on other human rights, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I just really don't like the, the idea that if you have a different opinion of me or, or than me from me, uh, how would you say that? If you, either way, if we have differing opinions, you're not an enemy. You are definitely okay to have that opinion and we should just have a conversation so we can see eye to eye. We don't necessarily need to agree, but I think, I think conversations are so important these days and it feels like we're getting further away from that. Well, thanks for that final word. Thanks for that reminder as well. Cause I, I agree. That's it's, it's so important. Voltaire, thank you for joining me on diving deep edu. I appreciate your time sharing your experiences and helping us think deeper about performing arts and dance within education. To those listening, thank you. Thank you for tuning in to Diving Deep EDU. If you like this episode, subscribe, share it out, post a review on Apple Podcasts. All of those things will help get this podcast out to more people. Until next time.
Wow, it's time to reflect. That's astounding. You've been checking out the podcast from Matthew Downing. Hope you like diving deep like a scuba diver. And the show provoked hope. That's our true desire. 